Hello, and welcome to the richardbarnes.com podcast. The emphasis of the podcast is to show, through others' experiences and insight, a beacon of knowledge, perspective, wit, and warning. A tale of life's lessons in whatever field. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at richard at richardbarnes.com. Okay, it's time to podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the richardbarnes.com podcast. I'm Richard Barnes, and it is a privilege and a pleasure today to talk to my first overseas victim. Um, Matt is an American. Matt Page is not only American, he's a man that wears a variety of hats. Um, well, how do I introduce you? I mean, you've got a background in film. Right. You're an actor. You're a writer. You have your own business. Um, you're a martial artist. Correct. Um, you have a plethora of accreditations to you. Um, you're, I, I noticed your acting credits um, also involve a... Um, how, is it, how do you describe it? You're in the new Lone Ranger film. I, I'm very briefly... Uh, uh, I'm... If if you know who I am, you can you can find me. It's 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 quick. I, which is a damn sight more than I am. I mean, I could be sitting. In, I don't get a credit in it, you know. But that's, <laughs> you know which which is which is which is kind of remarkable. Um, let me let me just uh, go back to the beginning, the very beginning of, of Matt, um, the film. Would you did you say you, you have other hats? I mean, are these these are the things that you love most, the martial arts and and the film. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, when it came to filmmaking and performing and whatnot, I, I got involved in uh, things like community theater and, and school plays and things like that uh, at a uh, kind of a young age and uh, then discovered filmmaking when my mother bought me a video camera uh, for, for uh, it was either Christmas or, uh, or, or one of my birthdays. And I started figuring out how visual language worked, sort of. So and um, was it was it school then? Was it something in school? What was what was the impetus that d d generated this love? Is this is this the all encompassing love of your life? The the film and the yeah, I, you know, uh, I uh, I remember uh, watching the Three Stooges when I was really young, and and uh, the the Three Stooges being a particular moment where I understood for some reason that they were just playing around, that it was uh, that it was a fictional story that they were doing, they were pretending to hit each other and stuff that. That was kind of a, a moment for me to realize that oh, you can you can sort of stage things and people will laugh to, uh, when you do them. And so I started doing that at school, and of course, uh, got in a lot of trouble for it with the teachers. But the kids always laughed, so I kind of got into you know kind of being a class clown kind of kind of guy, and then um, you know continued to be really obsessed with uh, movies and television, and wanted to see if I could make uh, make my own stuff, and just kind of fell in, as soon as I started uh, trying it out, I just fell in love with it. Did the, we talked about as well as you're you're a Kempo martial artist? You're fourth Dan. Uh, no, sir. I uh, I have a first degree um, black belt in Okinawan Kempo and Kabuto uh, right. from a, a really terrific uh, uh, sensei uh, Richard Pelletier uh, back in uh, in Maine on the East Coast who passed away uh, uh, earlier this year uh, from cancer, unfortunately. But really a wonderful, wonderful martial artist. He provided the base of all of my training, very traditional school, great instruction. And then from there, um, I moved around a lot and kind of was bouncing around studying various arts. And I've, um, I've tried a bunch of stuff. I've done stick fighting, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Aikido, boxing, all these things. 
Um, but I've been certified a second degree in uh, Jeff Speakman's American Kempo 5.0 system as well. Okay, well, um, apologize for calling you a fourth, Dan. I shall shoot my uh, source um, right. <laughs> for, for feeding me for feeding me uh, bad information. Pillage if you add up all the degree, you know, if you add the first degree to the second degree and then add up all the, like, I have like a blue belt in jujitsu, if you add all those up, I think technically it adds up to four, four degrees. Do you, do you know what? I, I, I'd go along with that. I, I think, you know, that, that's that's a good way of adding belts. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, got, I've got some that look quite nice with different outfits as well as. Um, <laughs> when, when did you get into the martial arts bit? Was that a school bit? I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, find out, you know, what was the impetus for that part of of the passion in your life? Well, you know, I was kind of, uh, I, you know, I continued to develop quite a smart mouth um, as I got uh, up into my teenage years. And uh, a couple of times, uh, guys didn't like what I was saying and they turned around and beat the hell out of me. And uh, after a particularly bad beating, I um, decided I needed to learn how to fight. And um, uh, I wanted to take boxing. Um, but my mother didn't want me to take boxing. She didn't want me to get punched in the face all the time. So she, uh, she found a traditional martial arts school, and that was my first dojo. And I just kind of fell in love with it, became really obsessed, actually, uh, from about my sophomore year in high school. And martial arts has been a part of my life uh, pretty much ever since, off and on. Did the smart mouth bit come on the back of the love of entertaining, well, finding your love of entertaining? Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, when I was being a smart mouth, I was, I was funny, um, but I was also disrespectful. I had no discipline. I had no humility. I was just, you know, kind of becoming becoming a bit of a punk uh, kid. And so it was good that that stuff happened when it did because it kind of straightened me out. I think I would have uh, – I think without the martial arts, I don't know what kind of person I, I would have become. But I think I was on the path to becoming uh, a bit of a bully. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm glad that, that uh, I got martial arts when I did because it, it really shaped, uh, shaped my young adulthood in a very positive way. And do you think it added to you? Well, you, you say that it it was to to deal with the bullies because one of the things I, I I get with talking to people and it's become a common theme that there have been in earlier life or um, points where there's been a, a, a moment that has shaped and directed the the path. Um, a, a lot of times, you know, again because of the questions. Uh, um, that I ask, and the the people that I, I invite onto the podcast kind of have a, a martial arts background. There the, the seems to be a moment when it is about fighting back and standing up for yourself that that uh, that that shapes you know going forward. Is, is is that what happened with you? Yeah, I think that if there is, you know, in our um, in our culture, um, it it seems like we have this sort of vague idea in terms of rite of passage, you know, um, I mean, when you turn here, when you turn 18, you can vote and buy cigarettes. And when you turn 21, you can drink and that's, you know, but I think one of the, one of the rites of passage, particularly for, for young men is, is, is that is, is, you know, whenever it happens, whether it happens when you're 10 years old or 15 years old or whenever that at a certain point, uh, you're met with aggression, which is just human nature and you have to choose how to deal with it. And if you can, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like that was a defining moment for me to get to the point where um, I could stand up for myself and and not be afraid to fight, not with the purpose of winning, um, but for the purpose of of not backing down, of not being afraid. And and martial arts gave me that where I knew that um, I could defend myself because that was the problem when I was uh, prior to my training is that 
somebody grabbed hold of me and I just didn't know what to do. And, and, and after I got some training, um, I carried myself differently and, 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 uh, actually approached many areas of my life differently after that. Um, there's a really kind of liberating feeling, um, when you begin martial arts training, uh, as I'm sure you, you have experienced where it just sort of, uh, it changes you as a person in a really positive way and, and spills over into the other areas of your life. Did, did you feel that you found, you know, more peaceful with yourself? Yeah, more confident, more peaceful, more introspective, more interested in, in self-improvement and, and, um, um, you know, that, uh, Dan and Asanto's book, uh, on the Filipino, um, stick fighting, um, has that great, I don't know if you've seen it. It has that great, uh, picture. It's like a drawing of, uh, like an iceberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got the progression of a, mar- the steps of a progression of a martial artist listed on the back. And it starts with, you know, number one is taking martial arts for destructive power. And then number two is, okay, taking martial arts for self-defense purposes. And number three is, okay, well, it's about fitness and personal development. And the, the last one at the bottom of the iceberg under the water is enlightenment. And, and that, you know, the further you go on this path, um, the more martial arts just becomes a gateway to, to other things. And that's, that's certainly been, been my experience. Was the chronology of, of, your, of your, your martial arts and starting that and your love of film, were, the, were there a similar path? Um, did they overlap? Was it a similar sort of age? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, I was kind. Of, I'm kind of surprised it took me as long as it did to combine the two, and I and I, I think you know, I've always wanted to because they were happening at the same time. Because I, I not only became really fascinated with martial arts and filmmaking, but I became fascinated with martial arts films, um, particularly. Uh, you know, there was this brand of film that they just don't make anymore, where they had guys like Jean Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal and Billy Blanks and Don the Dragon Wilson and all these guys who weren't really actors; they were martial artists that were being made into actors to, so that they could showcase their martial arts ability. And I became fascinated with those movies and owned them all on VHS and watched them until they wore out and um, uh, just became kind of obsessed with that particular time of martial arts uh, film. And I've always loved that. And I think that finally, a couple of years ago, I decided to to kind of make a tribute to that because I love filmmaking, I love acting, and I also love martial arts, and I just wanted to do a project that combined all of them. Mm. So you, you you went through school. Um, did you study? Uh, uh, well, you have, you have a different system there to what uh, we have here. I mean, it's actually quite interesting. You're talking about the rites of passage, eighteen and twenty one. In this country, sixteen you're allowed to smoke. Eighteen, um, eighteen is legally drink and vote. At twenty one, well, it's just kind of um forgetting the fact that uh, you missed your 18th birthday uh, right. <laughs> um, and we'll do it again um, right <laughs> no talking about you know educational system so it's interesting that you kind of found a peace in yourself and and, and confidence having had that confidence instilled in you and, and being able to deal with the bullies you, you, uh, and deal with the well life's life's confrontations and humps that it throws throws at you you feel you're more able to explore the, the subject areas that you wanted to with, with your filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I, I think that took a little longer, I think, uh, because after I didn't go to college immediately after high school, I moved, uh, to Southern California and, um, got a, uh, got a couple of jobs as a production assistant, um, in Hollywood and, um, was the worst production assistant ever, uh, because I'm not particularly organized, uh, or at least I, I definitely wasn't at 19. 
Um, I was the guy that would get uh, get lost. Hold, going hold for to, a second, going to give everybody uh, like lunch and. Let me ask you. Just pick up on that. You you finished your first party. Well, you finished high school. Is that right? And then, yeah. then you took yourself off to Hollywood to find yourself a job. Yeah, to go to go be uh, rich and famous because I figured I'd just find the line. You know, I just get off the bus and find the line and say, "Is this the line to 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 get rich and famous?" Because I'd like to do that. And 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 there are plenty of people who will put you in those lines. They're not the right lines, but. Um, what did your parents uh, think? What did your mum think? She was she was obviously a concerned parent because she didn't want. Oh, to my mother was terrified for me, but she also she was really cool about it though because I. I, I went to uh, a technical college for two weeks um, in southern Maine, about you know forty five minutes from where I grew up, and I just knew I wanted to try something different. I had I had been waiting to graduate from high school, and I really wanted to strike out on my own. and And I just came home after two weeks and told her like I'm probably going to leave, and I'd rather leave with your blessing. And she said, "Okay, if this is what you really feel like you need to do, go do it." And and so. Uh, uh, she let me have the Subaru um, that I'd been driving that I was borrowing. She just gave me gave me the car, and my grandparents gave me uh, uh, I think like fifteen hundred bucks or something like that, so that I could uh, at least make it to California and pay a month of rent. And um, uh, and they just cut me loose and let me go on a little uh, a little adventure, which was um, very educational. Was it? Uh, well, you, you talked about being put in the wrong line. Were you? You you asked questions of people, but the wrong people, or was was it not ready for you, or were you not ready for it? Yeah, I was not ready for it. I had never lived in a you know I came from a I grew up in a town of three thousand people, and then I moved to you know Southern California where there's people everywhere, and I didn't really I just I wasn't ready. I didn't have an education. I didn't really understand um, how anything in business worked. I didn't. Um, it was too early, but it was good. It was very educational. You know, I learned a lot about what I wasn't ready for and what I needed to know. And after two years of being being out there, um, you know, I, I met people. I took acting classes and did various things. And people said, you know, you have some talent. It's it's just you're kind of a mess. Um, so I needed to I needed to go back to school to figure some things out. So so I left Southern California, took another year to figure out like really where I wanted to go. And then uh, decided to go to college so that I could um, get an education and really and and really be better prepared for the workforce. How did you How did you get by during those times? I mean, you you're oh, saying you're man. trying to follow follow your dream, but you were not being put in the right line. So how how did you? Oh, uh, dude, it was it sucked. I, I was I was working at at one particular time. I was living in this apartment in Studio City that I couldn't afford, so I was always dodging my landlord because I was always he was a really nice guy. Um, and he would always, when he would catch me, he'd be like, Hey Matt, you know, I'm really glad to, glad to see, you. I really need the rent. It's been like three weeks. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll get it to you. And then I'd dodge him again, you know? Um, cause I just didn't know how to, how to pay for things. I, I got my phone shut off. I was working at the, the Hilton in Burbank, uh, as a security guard. And I was taking food home from the room service kitchen. Cause I couldn't afford to feed myself. I was just a mess. It, it was such a, you know, I, 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 I knew, I knew how to, how to kind of be an actor and kind of make little videos and stuff, but I didn't know how to live. You know, I, I hadn't really been educated on how to just, uh, go about the daily, you know, the basic daily things of being an adult. So, so that was terrible. When I left Southern California, I had no money. I had, I had less, it seemed I had less than when I had arrived, except that I had a lot of really tough lessons I had learned. And, and so I knew that I needed to, start over from the beginning and approach everything from a different a different angle 
While you were in Southern California, what did the your home your home and family know about your experience? Did they were they up to speed with what was going on, or did you feed them a different line? Oh man, you know the toughest thing about being young and moving out, like uh, like especially when you make a big deal about it, when you're like, I'm going off to Hollywood to be a star or whatever. You go you go out and everyone's like, Yeah, all right. And then you go out there and you get your your ass kicked and 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 you don't want to admit it. So I didn't like. I didn't really embellish the stories of what I was doing out there, but I didn't, I didn't correct people either. At one point there was a rumor that I was dating Drew Barrymore. Like I, you know, I, I came from like a really small town. So like somebody mentioned some crazy story like that and people started believing it. So I wouldn't discourage them. I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, it could be true. Um, so, so back home, you know, they had this totally different perception of how successful uh, everything was going out there. Meantime, I'm just a bum and, and crashing and, and burning. So, so that was, that was tough. Cause I, cause in order to leave, I had to sort of dispel the, uh, the myth, uh, that I was, that I was off being a, being a, a big shot. And I had to kind of come back down to reality, which, which was very humbling and, and, and necessary as well. I can say it must, it must've been tough because a lot of people, I suppose, would have wanted to avoid doing something like that to the extent that they, would stop what they're doing and go and do something else, but not going back face up the people that who had a mistaken belief in them or or believed the yarn that you'd you'd given them. Oh yeah, and going back, you know, when I went back, I I had again nothing, you know. So I was working. I found myself after this big, you know, effort to to succeed. And I, I you know, it's good to talk about this now because I don't think about it very often. But I when I left, I ended up taking a job. I was walking from my apartment in Augusta, Maine, uh, to, um, a to what was called a puffin stop. There's this bird in Maine called a puffin. And it was, um, and it was like on the sign of the gas station, it, the puffin was smoking a cigarette. So it had a double meaning. See, see what they did yep. there? Yeah. I see what they um, did there. Yeah. Can you explain it <laughs> yeah. to me? Puffin and puffin. I, I, <laughs> I would, well, I would walk to the puffin stop and they had a little sandwich shop in the gas station and I was making sandwiches like 12 hours a day. So that would be puffin and stuffin. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there, eh? That, that would have been that would have been yeah. a much better name for it. And, yeah. and and it was um and I I remember, you know, I didn't have a car. I was walking to a gas station after having been out in Southern California and everything. I was just like, this is I, I just remember thinking at a certain point, but I really hope this is the low point. You know, I hope this is the worst that it gets because uh if I'm still doing this in two years, I I think uh I think I need to go into another direction with my life. Luckily things did change. So you went home? Yeah, I went home and, and with my tail between my legs and and had to start again. And uh and that was tough. But after after a couple of years, um, you know, one real another really important moment, you know, a, a woman that I was dating at the time, um, I went over, I, you know, she brought me over to her parents and I got to know her family and stuff. And at one point her mother just turned to me one day and said, um, who told you it was okay not to go to college? And I was kind of struck by that. Cause I didn't, I don't think anybody ever really told me that I just decided I wasn't going to go to go to school. And, uh, like the next week I just started applying to colleges. I was like, well, I guess I'll go to college then, you know? And, and, uh, and that was sort of the beginning of a new, st a new stage where things started to make more sense. So how old were you then at that point? Oh, I was, uh, I want to say 22. 22. So at 22, you went to the college of Santa Fe to do moving arts, the moving images arts bachelor's degree. 
Yeah, that's I went there to to figure out how to. Um, uh, I was trying. I had tried to make a couple of little indie uh, indie films back in Maine, and um, I hired a couple of people who had been to film school, and they kept asking me questions I didn't know the answers to. I didn't understand what lenses, how lenses worked. I didn't understand how cameras worked. I just knew that I wanted to be creative, but I found that I didn't have the vocabulary or the training to explain what I wanted. So I decided to, I needed to go to school. So I went to college of Santa Fe and, um, which is now Santa Fe university. And, um, it was, it's one of the best things I ever did. I, I met a lot of great collaborators there. Some of whom are, are actually, uh, uh, in the dojo show now. Um, and, uh, uh, really, really came into my own as a, as a filmmaker, uh, uh, during that time. So again, th there seems to be perhaps some adversity that, you know, at that point, ha again, educate the educated, uh, sorry, educate the uneducated, if you would, from the American style of, uh, schooling system. How old would somebody normally be if they'd gone from high school to college? Would they be, is it 18 or something? Yeah, you'd be 18 as a freshman. I was 22 as a freshman, which um, doesn't seem maybe like a huge gap, but it's a huge gap. The 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 stage you're at uh, and the you know the priorities from 18 to 22. Um, and luckily, I kind of fell in with a with a, a group of guys who had done the same thing that I did. Uh, a few of us had gone to college, quit, and then decided to go back at the same time. So I had a little cluster of guys that were. 22, 23, that we all kind of, we were there to go to school, whereas everybody else was there to, you know, kind of find themselves and party and stuff like that. We were there to get an education because we had already been through the 18 to 22 period of kind of, you know, floundering around. So that kind of paid back going forward that you would wanted to sit there. I mean, again, I, I, talking about me for a moment, I, I went back to education when I was about 23, 24, 25 and did a law degree. And, right. and, one, and we were, I, I did it, um, what would you call it? At night, you would call it night school. I did it in the evenings. Uh, and one of the things, every now and again, we, we were put in with the day class, um, the 18-year-olds. And again, exactly what you said, that we wanted to learn and we wanted to be there while the others, the, the, the ones that had gone from, you know, into university as it was, into this university course, it was kind of a follow on from school and just felt like they should be there because it was kind of expected of them to be there and hadn't come to come to understand, you know, the importance of each and every moment there, you know, f goes to add up to something significant for their future. So exactly. Take it, taking the, t so for you then taking the time out and having, well, I don't know, would you describe it as a hiccup uh, and not being ready, going to, to, to Southern California, to Hollywood, uh, actually put you in good stead to go and get the most out of this, uh, this, this bachelor's degree that you got? Absolutely. And I was, I was extremely focused as soon as I arrived. I, my, my goal was to make as many films as I possibly could, um, particularly with professional equipment. Um, which is the benefit of going to film school. You, you know, I mean, the, that, that particular school, Santa Fe University, has a professional soundstage and all these high-end cameras. And so I began shooting immediately so that I could have a good reel, a uh, good collection, of, a good, good portfolio, basically, by the time I left. And in doing that, um, I, I, I really prepared myself for the, for the workforce uh, by the time I graduated. I, was, I, was in a, I had learned a lot had some really great professors and um, was really focused. Uh, re that I got a lot more out of it, I think, definitely than I would have at the age of 18. What's the ambition that you had when you went to Southern California at 18? 
um, the same ambition you had when you entered school at 22 or had that refined itself? That had refined itself because I, I, um, I remember, um, huh, this is kind of a weird story. I'll try to say it in a way I don't say who it is, but I worked, I used to, I used to, one of the things I used to do was, uh, to work, um, setting up parties. I got, I had this freelance work when I was in Southern California where this guy would throw very lavish parties. That was his business. Uh, he'd get hired by Disney and, and whatever to, to, you know, they'd spend 40 grand on, on one evening of food and entertainment and stuff like that. And I would go and he help set up the tables and chairs and, and stuff. And then I would leave, they'd have the party and then I would come back and break it down. So I was only there for obviously the boring part. Um, and I did that at a very uh, high-end celebrity party. Yeah. And I set a bunch of stuff up and I left and then I came back. And for the first time, I got to really witness the excess of Hollywood because apparently I had missed a big – I don't know if – this is weird. I don't think I've ever told the story. But I, I had missed like a giant drug sex party thing. Right. Um and, you know, people were laying around, drugged out of their minds. And, uh, you know, they had thrown all the food on the on the, uh, from the tables onto the floor. The place was just destroyed. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of – it was the first time I had seen firsthand what having a lot of money and a lot of access to things, uh, sort of the downside of having all that stuff in, in the Hollywood world. So when I left, I sort of refocused and said, okay, so rich and famous isn't really the thing. That I that I thought really because so, yeah I, witnessing I that for some people would would be think wow now this is the life that I would really like to have these yeah guys you know have it got seemed it, it, it seeing the aftermath of it was the thing I didn't get to see any of the the act of you know I mean maybe it would have been exciting to see the actual party but I just got to see the aftermath where everything was torn apart and people were lying around stoned out of their minds and stuff and it seemed kind of you know at seven a.m. that didn't seem very sexy yeah. Um, and so I, I thought, well, okay, then what I need, you know, I need to refocus. And I also, I also felt really out of control whenever I thought about, okay, when am I going to make it? When am I going to, you know, hit the big time? But when I thought about, I found that when I focused on, okay, when am I going to make my next film? When am I going to finish my next script? When am I going to do my next performance? That was very tangible and very satisfying. So going, um, going into the, going into, um, High school, uh, high, high, college, as you say, going into yeah. college, um, your ambition is refined. W what would you say that refinement was? W what was the big time for you at that point? What did you want to I, do? I had decided I wanted to be able to make a living doing what I liked, that, that, that doing what I love. That, that was really the point. I said, I want to be involved in storytelling and I want that to be my job. I want to get up every day and I want to you know, either be writing and directing or acting or, or, you know, doing the various things with storytelling, with visual storytelling in particular that I love to do. And that, that was the goal from there on out. And that's what I've, you know, now, since I focused on that, that's what I've been able to, to achieve. I've been very lucky. Were you still doing your physical stuff? Were you still doing your martial arts stuff at that, that through that time? Yeah. You know, that's always sort of popped up, especially when I moved to a new place. When I first moved to Santa Fe, I began studying at the uh, Gracie uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy and, um, and really enjoyed that. I did that for, I think, a little under a year. And then, um, then I just couldn't afford it anymore because I was a poor college student and that academy was expensive. So we started a boxing club um, at the college and we got this coach to agree. You know, we we got uh, some some school funds to pay a coach to come in and and coach us. But yeah, martial arts was always 
uh, always a part of my life in some form and has always been a, uh, a good thing to, uh, to kind of keep me grounded no matter what's going on. You came out of college then. Where did you go next? Uh, I'd I, I note that you have your own media company, Riff Raff New Media. Is, is that what you formulated out of college? Yeah, I got hired to do some promotional videos uh, for the school, actually, uh, immediately upon graduation. And uh, a lot of my friends were moving to Los Angeles because that's where the movie business is. Um, and uh, I just kept putting it off. I kept saying, I'm going to move there. I just got to finish this project. And then I got an agent, uh, an acting agent, and then I got a part on Breaking Bad, and then I got cast in this independent film, and then I got on In Plain Sight, and and I, I kept I kept getting all this work, and I said, well, when the work dies out, I'll move to L.A., and the work never died out. I just kept working. So I thought, well, I, I don't really want to mess with this. You know, if it's working, I just want to keep working. Was um, being away from where people perceived you should be actually an advantage then? I, I kind of, I, I sort of feel that way. Uh, I feel like um, here, because the uh, the film community, the, the entertainment community is very vibrant, um, but it's uh, it's very you know it's still I don't want to say small but it's um, it's you know it's not as big as it would be in Los Angeles but um, we all kind of know each other we all kind of depend on each other and um, there isn't as much of a uh, competitive edge here as there is a collaborative edge we're all kind of working together on various projects at at any given time um, and that's a huge advantage of being in New Mexico versus L.A. One of the things I really love about the internet is if you do enough digging, and sometimes you don't have to do much, sometimes you have to do a bit more, you find out all sorts of things about people. Uh-oh. I knew you were going to say that, actually. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now I won't talk about those pages. Um, as, right. you I, did, thought I thought I'd found all those and gotten, uh, gotten those pictures erased. Well, you did ask me to sign that disclaimer anyway, which I did for that cash sum that will come in the post that you promised me. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was just referring to the um, IMDb Internet Movies Database because looking at your filmography um, and the TV programs that you've been in and your your, your film credits and whatever, uh, go and check out Matt Page on there. Because if you're not fully familiar with the with the gentleman which I'm speaking to, it will give you um, an insight as to the gravity of his words. Because the guy is a guy that has been there, done it, and continues to wear the t-shirt. Um, let me just talk about riffraff and, and and the way in which that that's gone for you. Um, it's your own business, doing what you love. How long has that been running? Uh, since 2006. And is it going how you want it to? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the toughest balance for me is that I, um, the, having the business, you know, the bread and butter of, of Riff Raff New Media is promotional video. You know, we do um, particularly internet purposed uh, promotional videos for universities and corporations and all kinds of things. And that's a great business to be in. Um, but of course, I have my obsessions uh, like Enter the Dojo. Um, so it's kind of like having two full-time jobs. I run my company, I make my passion projects, and then I, I work as a professional actor when, when the work comes along. So uh, the company is definitely uh, the only reason I can do all of those things. Uh, it, it provides me with all the equipment that we use to create into the dojo. And, uh, it also provides me with a sort of flexible schedule where I'm always working, but I can always move things around for an audition or to go be in a film. Uh, so that's, that's another advantage. Do you um, work silly hours? 
Oh my God. Yeah. I'd, you know, I never, when you, when you own your own business, you know, you never really have a day off. You're always kind of, especially when you try to take days off, I tend to get my, my, my biggest opportunities come, uh, in a phone call as I'm driving out of town, uh, to go someplace. And, and, uh, I've, I've, I've had to turn around before and been like, well, I guess I'm not going anywhere. I can't turn that down. Let's talk a little bit about, um, enter the dojo because that is, is one of the strings to the bow that is, is come out of out of your company because it is quite an internet phenomenon um that this person you've got to um act in these uh, real real um real documentaries this this master ken fellow um he, he's he's been seen as, as i read and by um two million over two million views um through your video Three, channels 3.4. Excuse me. I'm sorry. That's my source. <laughs> going to get shot. 3.4 million downloads. 3.4. Yeah, we're pretty proud of that. And and this Master Ken fellow gets to go um, around giving seminars all over the world as well. Um, is is on the on the yep. uh, tip of the tongue of many martial artists who look to him for 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 direction in difficult times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. Uh... And that that's kind of a bizarre uh, thing that I didn't I had never planned for, because, of course, you know, the uh, initially Enter the Dojo was just a YouTube show. And then I got a couple of um, uh, requests. Um, uh, the first one was actually from from the woman who became my tour manager, uh, Tiffany Richards. Um, she set up an event where I came and, and did a, a bit of a roast um, uh, sort of like a little stand-up bit for, uh, for one of her, uh, uh, instructors. And then the next day taught an Ameridote seminar. And when I was first asked, I had to tell them like, you know, that it's not real, right? You know, that's a fic fictional martial arts. It's hard to, hard to teach something that doesn't exist. And they said, yeah, we don't care. We just want master Ken. So I, I, you know, <laughs> I came up with a, a curriculum for, for Ameridote and it's awesome. It's like a one hour, interactive one-man comedy show and um and we've done different versions of it uh all over the place and we just two weeks ago performed at the palazzo theater uh in las vegas uh wow. for a for a crowd of a thousand people did wow. a did a 15 to 20 i think a 20 minute show uh that was amazing it, it was it was an awesome awesome experience i can i can see I can see from what you've told me so far that you have the ingredients there to make this dish um, the martial arts background, the fact that you've studied in lots of different places as well as. So you've probably seen some of the real, real good stuff and some of the questionable stuff that, that is out there. <laughs> and I can also yeah. see the, the other side of it. You, you gave yourself the tools to do that through your love of, of filmmaking uh, and making people laugh as you were doing in school and making them smile. Um, what was the moment that they, all this came together into the dish? Well, I tried a... Um... I tried to film a short film where I, where it was just a, uh, straight up kind of action thing. And, um, we did this little short film and it didn't come out great. And I think it was, it wasn't, it, you know, I, I wrote it and a friend of mine directed it. And the only problem with it was that I wasn't right for the, for the role. I, I played this kind of serious role where I was sort of, you know, it was just about me, you know, throwing some kicks and doing some moves and stuff. And, and it just, it was missing something. And ultimately what I decided was that it was missing the humor. And, um, so I, I was trying to think of what to do. And then I became obsessed with, uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's, um, BBC version of the office. Yeah. The English version. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was I was obsessed with that. I watched that thing every night for a year. I always had it in my computer, just even in the background, just having episodes run because I was just fascinated with it. And I said, okay, I want to do that, but I don't want to rip it off. I don't want to do it exactly like that. So where can I do a mockumentary? And I was also a big fan previously to that, uh, Christopher Guest, um, you know, waiting for Guffman and, and stuff like that. I love the mockumentary format and I wanted to try it. And so I said, well, I've been doing martial arts since I was, you know, since I was a teenager, I guess I could do that. And I had met, um, so many bizarre people, um, in my journey. I thought, well, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of stories, uh, that I can come up with. So I wrote a script and gave it to some of my filmmaking friends and they laughed and said, this is pretty good. And, and so we just decided to do it. And, and then it was created and it was born. Yeah, we shot for one weekend. We shot uh, four episodes over a long weekend, and we released it August 5th. Uh, the first episode went, went live August 5th of 2011, and uh, I just started sending it to martial artists and kind of posting it and stuff, and it sort of took off. Before we knew it, we had 10,000 views, and people were sharing it, and we released the next episode, and that did well, and we j it just sort of just kept picking up momentum. And now the first episode has uh, 350,000 views. And uh, um, we, get, we get a minimum of 30 to 50,000 views on whatever we release. And, it, and it's always uh, – our audience is always expanding. So it's, it's been great. How, how does that um, actually marry up with the two sides of you, the, you the filmmaker and the things that you want to be successful in? And then the, this – I don't know how I would this would describe this product that you've created, this product perhaps being bigger than the map page. Yeah, well, you know, initially, I, it, part of it, part of the approach was just that, I, you know, when you're when you're trying to work as an actor, a lot of the times you don't get to read for very big roles. You get to read for, you know, like you look at a lot. I have I've had some good roles, but I've also had, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, in Lone Ranger, I'm soldier number three, which is, which was a great experience, but I had two lines and, and, uh, and I didn't get to really do as much acting as I would love to, to, to do in a big movie. So, uh, when you're starting out as an actor, you kind of have to create opportunities for yourself. So this looked like, uh, a way to do that. It also looked like a way to combine the fact that I had been, a, uh, and continue to be a martial artist, but that I also really enjoy working in comedy um, to sort of put all those together in one in one realm, where I could write something, write a character for myself, and uh, and and sort of use all my training, both in filmmaking and martial arts, uh, all at the same time. It's interesting, actually. You went to Southern California to go and find something when you were eighteen, and you were at, what you actually done with with Master Ken and and the dojo is you created it yourself on your own front doorstep, so to speak. You didn't have to go traveling; it was already within you. Yeah. And, you know, this is the best time I can think of for anybody who really wants to be in, 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 in a visual medium of storytelling, because, you know, it used to be the cameras were so expensive and you had no access to distribution. There didn't, you know, I mean, YouTube is not that old. I mean, YouTube hasn't, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, younger people take for granted that YouTube is just part of the culture now, but it hasn't been around that long and, and it didn't used to be possible I mean, what we would do previous to that is you'd make a short film, you'd take, you know, months prepping it, you'd shoot it, you'd edit it for months, and then you would put it on the film festival circuit. That would take a year or two. And at the end of a year or two, you were lucky if 1,500 people saw your movie. Mm. 
And now you can upload, I, I uploaded a clip. I uploaded a, a, the most recent instructional video by master Ken on Tuesday and, uh, Tuesday night at midnight, my time. And as of now, three days later, uh, it has 23,000 views, which is more people that have, you know, probably seen all of my short films combined. So, uh, with that, and then the access of being able to edit on a home computer, being able to shoot incredibly high quality video on these little DSLR cameras that cost in some cases, less than $2,000. It, it, there couldn't be a better time for storytellers who either don't have the means to or don't want to live in uh in new york or los angeles but still want to tell stories this is like the best time i can think of for it so they don't they don't really need to go but they still from what you've said to me so far need to have the tools to get the job done and that comes through hard work determination and actually honesty realization yourself that hey things may not have gone the right way going to southern california for like you said didn't go the right way or how you expected it to but it would have been easy to give up your dreams or go go run away from it or or, or not face up to it. You've you've took the mistakes, um, you've fronted them, you've learned from them, and you've used them as grist for you for you going through your educational process. Yeah, and you really have to, you know, the reason you have to be somewhat obsessive and and really be in love with, uh, you know, an artist in general have this experience, whether you're a painter or whether you're a, a theater actor or a filmmaker, that uh, it really takes. A minimum for a lot of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people, it takes about 10 years of investment um, to get a return uh, in terms of uh, having studied your craft, having met the right people, having built up a reputation and a resume um, before you, at least it's, it's taken, you know, uh, a bit longer than that actually for me to really get where I wanted to get. But um, that's why the people who who just can't stand to quit it, who really, really love it are the people who succeed because any sane person who has any, uh, any common sense would give up on this early because it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's in many ways, a terrible <laughs> experience. Sometimes all the rejection and all, of, and how much, you know, how little it pays in the beginning and, and all those things. So, I mean, really, if, if anything, it takes a lot of perseverance to just stick with it continue to learn and just have faith that eventually it's going to pan out. Can you see yourself having done something else with your life? You know, I, I almost, uh, I almost went two other ways. When I started college, I really, really liked, um, my psychology class. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll switch over and major, major in psychology. But then I thought, I don't know, I just really love filmmaking. I just don't really want to do anything else except, you know, writing and directing and acting. And then when I graduated, I was panicked that I wouldn't be able to find any work. So I was going to become a cop. I thought that I should be a police officer. Um, and then very quickly realized I didn't want to do that either. <laughs> I didn't want to get shot at. Um, so I, I just, you know, I decided I really loved, I just, I just, there was nothing else. There still is nothing else that I would rather do. It's just kind of that simple. It's funny actually, because you say one of your biggest influences was the, the Ricky Gervais version of the office. Right. Again, again talking, talking about it from my perspective, that was one program I couldn't watch. Huh? Uh, and, and the reason why I found it really, really uncomfortable. Uh, right. I, I didn't see, I mean, Ricky Gervais is an, uh, is an immensely talented guy, and he's a very good actor as well as the um, the film, the truth, the truth about lying. The, oh yeah, yeah, the invention of lying. The invention of lying. Sorry, Ricky. I know you listen to my podcast. Listen to yours. Um, <laughs> 
that, that 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 just opened my eyes to him in a completely different way. Then I then I took notice of him being interviewed as as Ricky and uh, you know kind of bought bought into the bloke that he is. But watching The Office, I, it was just uncomfortable. I just couldn't watch it. Yet my brother in law. It, it, it was, I must watch this when it goes out. The moment it goes out on TV, Richard, why don't you watch this? This is bloody hilarious. So it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, you, you're saying how much you bought into it. And I, I, can't, I still can't get my head around why the mockumentary of David Brent dancing in the middle of an office right. in the most bizarre way was funny. I was sitting there scratching my head. And I'm somebody that used to work in the civil service in this country where characters right. like him actually do exist. But uh, Well... You know, and having discovered that, I think it was that I hadn't really been exposed uh, to to that. I hadn't really seen something like that before, and that's what I think was so fascinating about it was that it was it was true and and realistic to an uncomfortable degree that for some reason just captivated me because it was so raw. Like it because right. my biggest, you know, one of my biggest fears in general is to be embarrassed, and this guy was putting himself in brutally embarrassing yeah. situations and and not and refusing to cut away just holding on these really uncomfortable situations and I thought that was really interesting on the other hand it's interesting you m- mentioned that because I never connected with the movie a lot of people have made the comparison to the movie The Foot Fist Way um which was with Danny McBride, which Jody Hill created. It was their first real effort together before they did Eastbound and Down. And that was about an arrogant martial arts instructor. That movie I didn't connect with, and that has the same type of humor. But yet what was missing from that for me was that when Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant did The Office, they made sure their characters always had a redeeming quality. Mm. We always got to see David Brent at some point be vulnerable. And then you think, oh, I do feel sorry for this guy. I do actually kind of like him. Yeah. Whereas in the foot fist way, Danny McBride's character is every, every character in that movie is just a terrible person and they never really learn anything. They never really redeem themselves or each other. Um, but that was what the office had was that, especially if you watch all the way through the Christmas special, you do get to see a moment where they all, turn a corner and learn something and kind of have a bit of joy in their lives. And that was such a satisfying journey to watch from the beginning to the end of that series and see that happen. So I, so that was what I wanted. I think there's two things actually that, that, that marry up with, with the master Ken character. Uh, sorry, the, the real master Ken, how dare I right. call him a character <laughs> it's, it, it is the rawness and the heart. Uh, right. You know, you, you say there is a rawness about the way in which he does things. He doesn't give a toss what anybody else thinks. He thoroughly believes in what he's doing, and it, and, and he conveys it in a, such a, a, a raw, simplistic uh, way that you know it's it's unequivocal. Yet the guy has a heart. I mean, I was I was catching up on a few of my favourite episodes this afternoon. Don't tell him, but uh, uh, there was right. this there was there's one scene where um, I think it's. Billy reaches inside his box to pull out a um, a, um, a gar, um what do you call him gum a shield yeah, yeah gum yeah. shield <laughs> puts it for himself and then off then offers Cynthia one uh, and, and Master Ken's oh no 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 we won't do that now that right. it kind of shows the guy as you know as, as a heart a little bit more it'd been it'd been very easy for him not to um, stop so yeah I kind of I kind of relate to that look. It's been lovely talking to you. Isn't that a great English expression? You Americans don't say lovely, do you? It's been we, lo- uh, I we say it. Uh, men say it to women, but you can say it to to a guy. I'll I you know I'll put up with it. All that's, right, that's, man. That's fine. 
Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you. On each of the podcasts I do with people, I offer them a go in my fic um, fictional time machine. Right now, you can use this. Use this if you wish or not. Okay. But the, the function of this time machine is to go back in time, funnily enough, hence the time machine, to meet yourself perhaps when you were 12, 13, 14 and offer a few words of wisdom from the life lessons that you've you know, found so far along the way. Would you avail the use of my time machine that I'm offering you now? And if you do, meet your former self at a, you know, a, a, in his very formative years, 11, 12, 13, what advice you know, would you give? And bearing in mind, this is uh, only a few sentences, because I don't know if you know it, running time machines is bloody expensive these days. Right. Uh, I mean, those radioactive isotopes are not easy to come by, so you can only go back for a few moments and have a few words in your younger self's ear. Would you, would you, I know would you use it? I know exactly what I would tell myself. Go on. Um, I would tell myself, and this took me far too long to learn, but that a... Uh, uh, a successful career is built, and really I would say a successful sense of community is built on relationships. Um, and that I underestimated the importance of that because you don't really, you don't make it on your own. You don't make it based on strictly uh, your talent. Uh, you need, you do need other people. And um, it's taken me to the age of 35 now to really understand how much occurs um, in moving forward towards your goals and achieving things by surrounding yourself with the right people and not just people who can do for you, but people that you can help as well. Um, so I, that's one thing I would tell my younger self is to not underestimate the the importance of, of good relationships now normally i have very good control of my time machine and bringing people back to the exact moment in time right right now having availed of it speaking to the younger self but uh, on this particular occasion i just want to give you a little go 10 years into the future where you can open the door of the time machine and peek out and see matt in 10 years time what is it you hope that matt will be doing then gosh you know i just hope i'm doing i hope i'm doing more of what I'm doing now. I, I really love what I do. I want to be continuing to just create good, you know, good work that people really enjoy and to be doing it with my friends. I, uh, I really love the people that I work with and I'm very proud of the body of work we have so far. I just hope that I can reach more people with it. Um, I would smile. also, I, I would also like to uh, drive an Audi. A what? An Audi. Oh, an Audi. Audi. <laughs> I'd like to drive an Audi. Okay, an Audi. Right, okay. Driving an Audi would be lovely. <laughs> when you go up the apples and pears and have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for sharing your time and, uh, and, and the you. story as well. It's been a great insight. Thank you. Thank you.